if the Pirates had a potentially very, very good young pitcher and didn't mess him up. Good morning, good Friday morning. On that happy note, I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio. That's a podcasting network that brings you this program, daily show, every Monday through Friday, bright and early. Make sure you're setting your podcasting platforms that you use, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, to automatic downloads to get all of our stuff. Make sure you don't miss anything, including this show. I was at PNC Park yesterday. A little bit of a a break, if you will, or mixing it up uh, from a couple days out in Cranberry with the Penguins. I'm going to try to spend this next little while in covering sports getting around as much as possible, trying not to get stuck too much at one place. That's the way I've always preferred to do things anyway, but with the Penguins being in Canada and that tournament being about as close to off-limits as you can get for media, I'm going to seize this opportunity to try to get around, and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, There's no complaints here. After four months of nothing, are you kidding me? Um, just being able to walk into the ballpark yesterday, uh, set up next to Alex Stumpf, our beat writer, up in the PNC Park press box, look down at the field and see Mitch Keller coming out to take the ball for a, a scrimmage. These are never to be taken too seriously. For the record, the two teams, I put in gigantic Seinfeldian quotes here, that played each had a starting pitcher playing center field. Joe Musgrove for one team, Derek Holland for the other. So don't take this stuff too seriously. However, the stuff that does matter is when somebody who's getting ready for the season, which, by the way, is like a week away. I don't know how many people realize that. July 24 in St. Louis for the Pirates. I'll be there for that, too. The players who are getting ready, they matter. That's usually the pitchers. These things are all about the pitching. They're about getting those guys ready. And to a lesser extent, the hitters that are going in. They're not conventional lineups. They rotate the hitters who are most important to the team. They keep them going in to the batter's box on a frequent basis. So here's Mitch Keller with a pretty good test. uh, About as good as it gets in this environment. Because he's facing a lineup that's got Kevin Newman, Brian Reynolds, Josh Bell, you name it. The whole way down. Uh, The Pirates' best guys were out there. And the Pirates' best guys, incidentally, are pretty good. Keller mowed them down. I'm here to tell you that however much you want to put into a scrimmage, the amount of soft contact, embarrassing swings, uh, foul balls, freezing guys on the outer part of the plate, meaning left-handers with a change-up that I didn't even know was in his arsenal, working upstairs, which was his number one priority, he told me in spring training, something that has been basically ingrained in him by the new pitching coach, Oscar Marin. He wasn't just rearing back and trying to blow people away like we saw when he first came up last year as a rookie and was getting really bad results. I'm using the word results on purpose, and I'll get back to it. He went out there, and he was just mowed down. 
last year, uh, starting with his debut in Cincinnati, gave up a lot of runs, gave up a lot of hits, walked guys at lousy times, looked anything but the elite top 10 in all of baseball prospect that he'd been billed to be. And at the same time, if you were really watching those starts, and at that point in the season, I don't know how many people were watching because this is when things got really dark for the Pirates, his stuff was really something. Uh, not in a circus kind of way, like let's say, for example, Charlie Morton, who had this fastball that would come biting in on guys, and you're like, even he didn't know where it came from. And not in a Garrett Cole way where he could, whenever anything else was in doubt, just say, all right, you know what? Here comes 99 miles an hour. I'm just going to do that. That's not what Mitch Keller is. His stuff that bites on hitters is devastating from the the harder off-speed stuff, the sliders, the change-ups. There was one particular at-bat that I made special mention of uh, in my column that's up on the site this morning. I actually captured video of it from upstairs uh, when Josh Bell came into the box. I thought, all right, here's a here's a pretty good matchup, right? Dude had 37 homers, 114 ribbies last year. Let's see how he does against the kid. Again, this was not interesting. Now, Bell hasn't had a particularly great summer camp. He's been doing a lot of swinging and missing. But still, uh, one pitch froze him, another one he lunged at outside, and the third one was this obscene slider that just dived under Bell's bat, and he alligator-armed it so awkwardly that as he stepped backward out of the box following strike three, he just stood there for a a very long two or three seconds before finally turning around and walking back to the dugout as if he was wondering what had just happened to him. Now, in olden times, when we could go down to the locker room and ask these guys questions, I would have found out a whole bunch of things about this pitch, uh, both from the pitcher's reaction and the hitter's reaction. As it was, there was at least an opportunity to ask Derek Shelton what he thought of Mitch Keller's outing. Uh, I think the thing that probably took out of the game today was Mitch Keller continuing to build and develop and seeing sharpness, some really good breaking balls, execution of the fastball was uh, was probably better than we had seen in previous outings and stuff that he's working on. So definitely uh, definitely the thing that made me smile today was, was watching him execute and continuing to see his development because like we've said numerous times or we've said as a group is, you know, this guy's got a major ceiling and uh, you just keep taking steps in his development. So that makes me smile today. Everything's there. There's nothing that the kid doesn't have, uh, including composure, uh, including smarts. Really, really bright kid. You'd be floored if you talked to him, whether it was about baseball or anything else. Just a, a, a really bright thinker on a lot of levels. But the calm, the ease with which he did what he was doing yesterday. I understand it wasn't exactly a high-pressure situation. I'm not making more of it than what it is, but it's all we have to talk about right now, right? Uh, He reminded me, going way, way back to Zach Duke when he first came up to the Pirates, and there was just this 
jaw-out determination that he felt like he was better than the batters that he's facing. That's the way Keller conducted himself yesterday. It doesn't mean he's going to have the same results against the Cardinals in the opening weekend, and I would imagine he's going to start the series finale on that Sunday at Bush Stadium, the way the rotation's lining up with Joe Musgrove first, Trevor Williams second. But now I'm going to come back to that word results. Advanced metrics can do a lot of different things, not least of which is skewing a pre-existing notion towards something that you want to make true. But there's a great statistic in baseball that not a lot of people are aware of called batting average on balls in play. The, the nerd community refers to it just as BABIP. That's the acronym. And what this means is the ball gets put in play anywhere at all between the foul lines except over the fence, meaning home runs don't count. The ball gets put in play. Does it land somewhere for a hit? Does it result in a hit or does it not? Simple as that. There aren't errors taken into consideration. There aren't, there's no other factors. It's just, did the ball in play result in a hit or not? They don't care how hard you hit it, how soft you hit it. It's a completely uh, non-subjective statistic in that regard. Generally speaking, hitters tend to float around 300 with this figure because that's just quote-unquote, the way the ball bounces. If you are considerably below this 300 figure, they say that as a hitter, you're getting crazy unlucky. You're hitting a bunch of liners right at people. That's generally the way this works. It might not be in one game, might not be in one week, might not be even in a month, but over the course of a season, this stat always plays itself out. Mitch Keller had one of the worst pitchers Babbitt figures in all of the majors last year. He was so ridiculously unlucky. Doesn't mean he didn't give up some hard contact. It doesn't mean he didn't walk guys like I mentioned earlier. But he also was terribly unlucky. And he gave up some of his hits at the worst possible time, meaning there were two or three guys on base and they all came around to score. So his ERA would get bloated or he'd get chased from the game. And those are the kinds of things that over a a regular 30-start season are going to even themselves out. He knows that. That's one of the things I like about him. I brought this thing up with him in Bradenton, the Babbitt thing. He, I mean, he actually knew the number. I don't remember it now. But he knew the number. He knew what it was. He was aware of it. He had studied what had happened, what went wrong. And he knew there was a difference between performance, the precision of the pitches, the poise he was showing on the mound, and the opponent's production against him. He knew why all of it had occurred. And I like that. I'm going to tell you one other thing I like. This was from a separate conversation that we had earlier in Bradenton before they got to McKechnie Field. This was over at Pirate City. I remember this vividly. I asked him about his expectations coming into this 2020 season. Not so much from the usual, hey, kid, are you going to break through? Are you going to make it? Uh you know, is this your turn or stuff like that? I asked him about it from the standpoint of how badly this rotation needs him. I honestly believe he's the swing vote in this rotation. Think about it. I mentioned Musgrove and Williams. They're not certainties. Musgrove's uh, 
less of a certainty than Williams, but neither of them is some kind of lockdown thing, but they are the one and the two in this, for whatever that stuff is worth. But after Keller, you're looking at Derek Holland out there. I'm sorry, I just don't, I, I can't get myself excited about a 33-year-old guy who was pitching out of relief last year for a crappy team in San Francisco. That doesn't do much for me. I, I, I'll respect that the Pirates see something in him that they like for now, but we'll see how that goes. And then after that, you're looking at some odd-slash-piggyback combination of Stephen Brault, Chad Cool coming off of Tommy John surgery, and JT Brubaker, who has really impressed them. A former higher-round draft pick who was coming off an injury of his own in 2019, but was seen even by Neil Huntington early last year as a guy who could have competed for that rotation. So here's Keller right in the middle, and he he's aware of that too. And I asked him about that, and his response was, at every level I've ever pitched in my life, going back to when I was a kid, I've always been the ace. That's my expectation here. And I just looked up at him like, did you really just say that? Did you use the word ace? Like, nobody even uses that word in baseball anymore. You know, it's, it's almost like it's a non-cool thing to say because, you know, all starting pitchers are all even. There's only a handful of true aces all around baseball anymore. Probably no more than nine or ten if you're being honest. And this kid just blurts this out, and he doesn't come across as cocky in any way, so please don't misinterpret it. He just sees that as what's realistic based on the quality of his stuff, the quality of his brain, and the way he approaches the sport of baseball. I am excited to see Mitch Keller pitch in 2020. There's a lot to not be excited about as it relates to the Pirates this summer. Make an exception for this one because he could be a big, big part of this Pittsburgh baseball club for years to come. When we come back, more ball. Just That's just where my brain is right now. More ball. Remember the number one rule of Fight Club? Come on, you know you do. The number one rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Well, the number one rule in sports right now, in the week and change that I've been blessed to be back around sports and asking people questions again, is you don't talk about coronavirus. You don't ask why someone is gone because you're going to get a total non-answer of some kind or we're deferring to the league. So when the Penguins had nine players missing out of 32, when they opened up training camp, all they were able to say is, you know, the NHL has a policy on this and that's how it is. So the Pirates have been missing three guys, three fairly important guys to their cause in recent days, or in a couple cases, Keone Kella, the closer, and Kebrian Hayes, the top position player prospect, the young third baseman, of course. 
And then this week, they've been missing Gregory Polanco. In every case, this isn't the Pirates' fault. This isn't this isn't a, a, any kind of shot at them. They're required to defer to Major League Baseball and just say, so-and-so was unable to practice, or so-and-so has been unable to practice, or has been unable to make it onto the field, as was the case specifically with Kella and Hayes. That's starting to get a little worrisome. Um, even setting coronavirus aside, and I'm, I haven't heard anything, and I'm not attaching that to any of the three. I'm not being irresponsible here, but you know what? I mean, again, that's the world we're in, and the way we're now asking these questions and getting these answers, I think it's a fair thing to bring up. If they aren't ready, in particular Kella, the Pirates are going to have to do some things that maybe they wouldn't have wanted to do. Uh, aside from the obvious, is that they would want these players to be available. That's especially true. I don't mean to put Hayes into this group. Hayes, by all accounts, was going to have to go back to Altoona anyway because if he's down in the minor leagues or whatever passes for the minor leagues, the satellite camp, I guess, for six days, the Pirates get to retain a full year of his service time going forward. That's a no-brainer to do that, and I'm sure Ben Charrington's going to get around to doing it if he can't pull it off right at the beginning. But Kella, to repeat myself, is the closer. Polanco is the right fielder and maybe the single most talented position player on the roster. Doesn't mean he's lived up to it. It just means that the talent is there. So these are, these are big things. And at some point soon, you would think, some other decisions are going to have to be made notably at closer. Kella will only have a handful of days to show that he can ramp up to his regular uh, velocity and spin and control. Remember, with, with Kella, you're, you're talking about, especially early in counts, control. And if you don't have him out on the field, never mind the mound, sometime very, very soon... You're going to have to have a closer. You might not necessarily want to name him. And and the way Derek Shelton so aggressively named Kella the closer back in Bradenton, I strongly suspect he's not just going to show up on a Zoom call and say, Hey, everybody, Kyle Crick's my new closer. I don't don't think that's going to happen. I think most managers always give the uh, the standard by-committee approach answer. Uh, you might see something like that. Well, we'll use Kyle Crick one day. We'll use Richard Rodriguez another day. Maybe we'll see what Nick Birdie's got, even though he's really inexperienced. He's throwing the ball up there at 200 miles an hour. Or they'll go about it situationally. But it's a 60-game season. That's it. Every one of these games count. That's one thing we all have to get out of our heads once this season starts. Um Normally, people like me in my line of work are in the business of telling readers, listeners, uh, oh, settle down. There's 162 games. It's a marathon, not a sprint. This one's a sprint, not a marathon. If the Pirates struggle in the first week and change, and bear in mind that the first week and change might be the toughest that they face in the entire schedule because they have the Cardinals twice. They have four games against the Twins, who won 101 games last year. 
and they've got the Brewers in there too, uh, we might know very, very quickly whether or not the Pirates will be hanging around to participate in all 60 games, at least from any contending standpoint. So all things are different, and managing should be different. And if we don't see Kella soon, in particular, I really feel like Derek Shelton needs to look Crick's way and say, you're my guy. Until I see the other guy, you're my guy. Crick is absolutely the best equipped out of this group. Uh, He had a really weird 2019. And I'm not just talking about the time he beat up Felipe Vasquez in San Francisco, before we knew what a great thing that would be, by the way. I'm also talking about uh, that he started the season really, really well. He was one of the better relievers in the National League through the start of June, and then all of a sudden, even though his stuff was still showing well, his command was still showing well, he all of a sudden started getting rocked. I mean, they were hammering him. He he allowed seven home runs in his last 21 appearances. That is scary. That's, that's Davidis Nevorowski's territory, my friends. And Kyle Crick is not that pitcher. One day, late last season, Crick pulls me aside instead of the other way around and tells me this story that goes way back to May and what started happening to me. He got into these really hyper-specific details about something that he was doing on the mound that tipped the opponent. And the whole time he's telling me this, in addition to most of it going over my head, because only a pitching coach or a pitcher would understand this lingo, I was just thinking to myself how impressed I was that somebody picked up on it. You know what I mean? (laughs) From the other side. Or that the hitter could see, wait a second, if you did this one little thing and you turned this one certain way, they knew what pitch was coming. And he's like, yep. Well, that's just amazing in and of itself. But guess what? Pitchers and pitching coaches, particularly pitching coaches, are paid to see such things. Crick wasn't particularly pleased with either of his pitching coaches, both of whom are gone, by the way. That, of course, being Ray Searage and then the bullpen coach, Yuki Rojas, he felt that they should have picked it up. They didn't. They didn't. It wasn't until August that one of the Pirates video coordinators, who I'm purposely not going to name because I don't want anybody to think that he was, like, you know, sticking it to the pitching coaches or anything. That's actually not how this worked out. He just happened to be watching video of Crick throwing and said, did you notice that you're doing this? Did you notice that every time you do this, they smash the ball? And Crick was like, Whoa, hang on a second. So he asked the video coordinator to go back and splice some more, look at some more, see what else is there. And sure enough, this this is what video coordinators are great at, by the way. They put together like these greatest hits assemblies so they don't waste the athlete's time. The athlete sits there now the next time with this coordinator and they watch this video in rapid fire and they see him doing the same thing 20 times in a row and they see 20 bad results in a row. Or they see at least that the hitter was on the pitch based on his timing, based on how his knees bent a little bit. They see that. They lay their eyes on it. 
Crick was livid over this, and he should have been. He should have been. In any sport, the athlete relies on his or her coaches to find things like this. To call it to your attention and to make sure that you're not doing it. There are tendencies, my goodness, the stories I've heard, uh, you know, from our own Ramon Foster about they would notice these. I'm going to ask him to to write about this maybe in a column at some point because the stories are great. So-and-so does this and this with his pinky finger before he's about to do a linebacker blitz or something. You know what I mean? It was just like these great, great things. That's what coaches are there for. That's what quality control coaches are for in the NFL. They study every little thing. They're looking for every little edge. When you hear that term, if you give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for a team, he'll rip them apart. This is what they're talking about. Well, Crick didn't have this help. He didn't have this support. He didn't have somebody watching my back was the way he put it. He's had to overcome the the fractured finger that he got from beating up Felipe Vazquez. But he was showing well in Bradenton, making very good progress. And more importantly, I mean, these four months have passed. The finger is healed, and he's out here pitching. He's healthy. He's available. He's absolutely the Pirates' closer if we don't see Kella, in my estimation, in the next day or two. And hopefully, honestly, if I'm just being truthful with you, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't have minded seeing Crick be named the closer going into this year regardless. I think that highly of him. It's not really a shot at Kella. The second segment of this show is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in southwestern Pennsylvania are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. Now, during the pandemic, the need for the food is even greater. If you're in need of food assistance, or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell that out when you put it in your URL, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. I'm grateful that you've listened to the shows all week long. Um, They're doing pretty well. We had a record day on Thursday for downloads. I thought I'd share that with you here. Uh, We topped 6,000 downloads for the first time in a single day. That is really cool. Uh, I've been doing different things in this business over the years. I've tried to be adaptable. Uh, to whatever the, the latest tech is or the latest fad is, whether it's social media or the actual journalism. It's uh, not that podcasting is some new thing, but it, it is kind of for me, and, I, and I'm, I'm liking it a lot. And I hope that if you are, that in addition to getting those podcasts downloaded automatically into your devices, spread the word. You know, share something with us. Uh, a friend on Facebook who's a fan of the Steelers, the Penguins, or the Pirates, or whatever, let them know we're here. We're, this isn't a normal radio thing. We're there with the teams. We're covering them. We go everywhere they go. We're not just sitting in a studio somewhere telling you what we think. 
and, and we're proud of that too. And the fact that we can share that with you in this format, it's pretty cool. Thank you for listening to this. I mean it. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.